The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of the owner, staff, or management of this radio station. Welcome to Stop Raising Einstein. Your host, Tara Kennedy Klein, is out to dispel that myth of the perfect child and encourage parents to let them out of the box. Each child is unique, and this show is just the place to stand up and shout out that fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. So right now, join the queen of accountability who advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. Here is your host, Tara Kennedy Klein. Hey, Parent Nation, welcome to Stop Raising Einstein. I am your host, Tara Kennedy-Klein, and I am just thrilled to be here with you today. I uh, I have an amazing guest today, uh, which I, I'm so excited. It, her name is Priscilla Gilman, and she is the author of a book called The, Un- the Anti-Romantic Child. And I have to tell you that I've been a huge fan since the book came out. Um, you know, she is a, a kindred spirit in that she's a mom of a special needs child, not expecting the the joy and the struggle and the um, the unique experience that comes with having a child that's not what you intended them to be. So I'm I'm really excited to have her on our show. Um, before I introduce or before I, I bring Priscilla on, you know, I always like to start my my show with something that's current in the news and something that's going on. And, you know, a lot of times I bitch and whine and complain about stuff that's going on that I don't agree with or that drives me crazy or whatever. But today um, there's I, I've really been on this bullying thing lately. And, you know, I know it's like a big deal and everything, but I really I. I kind of call out BS on the way we handle bullies in the United States of America because I think that we're doing it wrong. I think we're kind of feeding into the problem instead of eliminating the problem. I truly do. I think when you're teaching kids to call other kids out on their bad behavior, you're pretty much emphasizing bullying and creating new bullies. So I really don't like a lot of the bullying training that's going on right now. Um, But I I read a story recently um, about a teacher, and it's in the Mohanesen School District, and her name is Faith Perry, and she's a high school teacher, and she had a student in her class that didn't, you know, the family didn't have a lot of money, and one of her students was bullied for wearing the same pair of pants two days in a row. Okay, A, if that's if that's all you have to bully a kid about, you need to get a life. Seriously, guys. But anyway, that being said, she um she didn't she wasn't going to tolerate that kind of behavior. So what she decided to do was wear the same outfit every day for the rest of the school year. And I mean, the first thing that came to my mind is, "Geez, I hope you wore a really cool outfit that day because <laughs> Oh my gosh, like, let's say you wore white pants and now you've got to like carry that through the fall and the winter and it's just, you know, that can get ugly. But needless, we're not going to go into that part of it, but what she did was she made such an impact on her class because she basically taught them that what's on the outside isn't what matters. It's what what's on the inside that matters, which is what we try to teach our kids as much as we possibly can. Um, so she decided to carry it forward and do the same thing this year, this school year. So she picked out an awesome outfit, I'm sure, you know, accessories, make the outfit, whatever. And she um, she's wearing the same outfit every day. To prove a point, to say that, you know, it doesn't matter what your clothes look like. 
Here's my thing, folks. You know that got me thinking. She's pretty much making an argument for uniforms as far as I'm concerned. And I know that I, you know, I, I sort of did a little informal survey and I know all the people that I surveyed are laughing their butts off right now because it was truly an informal survey. But here's what I realized. The problem with kids wearing uniforms to school is parents. It's what I say all the time. The problem with kids is parents. It's not the kids that care about the uniform. My son being autistic, he would love a uniform. Are you kidding me? I get to wear the same exact thing every single day. And I pick, I get to pick out my pants that I love and my white shirt that I love. And I get to wear that every day. And nobody's going to make fun of me and nobody's going to pick on me and nobody's going to bully me because I wear the same hoodie every single day because that's what goes on. You know, when you have a kid on the autism spectrum and, you know, the same thing every day is like a dream come true for them. Uniforms are awesome. It's the parents. I want my kid to be seen in his Abercrombie shirt. I want to feed my ego by putting my kid in those awesome outfits and everybody go, ooh, wow, they must have a lot of money because they can afford really cool clothes. Guess what? Mom and dad, if the school implemented a uniform policy, your life would be a thousand times easier. Your kid's life would be a thousand times easier and everybody would be a whole lot happier. And for those people who say, well, what about the people who can't afford to buy the uniforms? If you can afford to buy your child three outfits for school, you can afford to buy three uniforms for school. That's all I'm going to say about that. So anyway, moving on, that that was my rant for the day. Good on you, Faith Perry. Keep doing what you're doing because you're doing good things. You're bringing the negativity out of bullying and showing kids what's really important about life. And it's what's on the inside, not the outside. And that's what I absolutely love about my guest today, Priscilla Gilman. She is the author of the book, The Anti-Romantic Child. She has got so many amazing things that she's done with her life um, as far as um, she has – she was um, a, a professor – at Yale, I believe. And I'm, I'm like trying to read her bio, but here's the thing about bios. I'm so impressed with her as a human being that all this other stuff kind of like, I, I never really read into it because she's, she's such an amazing person. If you're on her Facebook pages and all that stuff, she's, she's just fabulous. She has an amazing outlook on life. She has an amazing writing style. She is a brilliant literature, um, expert and and all of that other great stuff but the way she looks at her family and her life is just an inspiration to me and it should be to you too so i'm so excited to talk to her about her family and her book and every great message that she has to share priscilla hello thank you for joining me today oh it's so exciting to be here i couldn't (laughs) wait to talk i was laughing while you were talking about the uniforms And I have to say, I I totally agree with you about the uniforms. I had a uniform in my school growing up, and and both of my kids now have uniforms in their schools. And oh, it's wonderful. It's and and my son is exactly. He's like okay, but his his uniform is a little too loose because he can wear any color polo shirt that he wants, and it doesn't have to have a logo on it. So he's still a little bit. See, whereas my younger son, he has to wear a school shirt, and that's it. And he gets up, and he puts it on, and that's it. That's awesome. Yeah, and they did it, and they did it primarily in my younger son's school to make 
really to lessen the possibility of any kind of picking on somebody because of their clothing and also just to eliminate clothing and style and, and wealth as an extension of that with people showing off through their clothing, to eliminate that as something that the kids would be focusing on during the school day and really to put everybody on a level playing field and take clothing a superficial thing during the course of the school day that we really shouldn't be thinking about talking about commenting on or mocking other kids for just take it out of the equation you know so absolutely absolutely and you know the thing that's so funny is we as parents we spend so much time going how do i get my kids to understand the value of money and the value of hard work and blah 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 blah. so clearly our kids don't understand that to begin with so if putting it into their heads and then we're saying we're making it a requirement for the for a status requirement. You know what I mean? It's it's a complete yeah. contradiction. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It makes no I completely sense. agree. I completely agree. And you know, when you were saying about people saying, "Oh, I don't have enough money to buy the uniform," um, our the school that James, my younger son, goes to has a fund now where when kids outgrow their uniforms, if they want to donate them to the school, then the school has uniforms that they will give to children for whom the cost of the uniform would be prohibitive. However, the uniform is not expensive. I mean, it's through Land's End, and they have a special program with Land's End where if you buy by a certain date, you get a big discount. And, you know, I, I will say that Jamesy, my younger one, who is not autistic but has his own, uh, his own issues, and, and he's dyslexic and has other learning challenges, but when he first heard about this, you know, he's my sort of creative, super creative, super um, it follows the beat of his own drum kind of kid. He's like, oh, mommy, I don't want a uniform and I can't wear my son's styles anymore. You know, like he likes sort of putting together all like his cookie clothes and like and doing it in his own way. But I said, but sweetie, you know, the school is not a place for your fun styles. Like you can do that on the weekend. And so, you know, he like he has his T-shirts that say like rock and roll, stuff like that on them. He wears them on the weekend. You know, he wears them to play dates. He doesn't have to wear them to school and as soon as school started and he started wearing the uniform, it was completely fine. And now it, it really makes it much less stressful in the morning, too. I mean, that's another advantage for parents. <laughs> that's awesome. That's so true. It's so true. I, that's my favorite thing. I mean, everybody has the same gym uniform that they have to wear, and it makes right. life so easy. You know, I don't have yeah. to worry about, oh, do I have the cool shorts and the cool T-shirt and yeah. all that stuff? Jim, everybody wears the same uniform. It makes life so much easier. And the other thing that I look at too, and I might be a little bit unique in this, but you can just go with me on it. (laughs) (laughs) I I look at school as my child's job. Yeah. Like right now, it's your job to be a student. And the teachers are like your bosses. They're like your supervisors, your managers, your bosses, whatever. Like the principals, like the big boss. And so... If I have to dress a certain way for work, why wouldn't my kids have to dress a certain way for school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree. I agree absolutely. I agree. I think teaching them so much more than just, you know, don't pick on people for the labels in their clothes. It's teaching them responsibility and respect for their environment and, you know, the other people around them. There's so many things that go into that. And it's just like, I just don't understand why it's such a big deal. I do. I know why it's a big deal. We as parents make it a big deal. I mean, we have a dress code in our school. Yeah. And it never fails. You know, you're not allowed to wear spaghetti straps if you're a girl. You can't wear spaghetti straps. It never fails. You know, you have that one mom who goes out 
and buys the $60 spaghetti strap dress and says, but she likes it and I think she should be allowed to wear it. It's like, oh my gosh. Jeez. You did that on purpose. You totally did that on purpose to raise somebody's ire. You totally did. Oh my gosh. It's so crazy. Yeah. How funny that um, the first segment is over and we absolutely have not said a single thing about your book. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we're having a fun conversation that's meaningful. Exactly. And, and you know, I think you know, I think the thing that's interesting about about the whole uniform question that ties into my book and we're gonna have to talk and, about um, back from the break, honey. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can't wait to do that. When we come back, we're gonna talk to Priscilla about uniforms in her book. Woohoo! <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the show. Tara, the self proclaimed queen of accountability, loudly advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. She wants to help you shout out the fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. We'll be right back. friends and family speak the same spiritual language as you? Are you ready to embrace the life you truly desire? Are you ready to find the courage to listen to your intuition, embrace your ancient wisdom, and live an authentic life in joy? Join Gail Carruthers, your spiritual girlfriend, Fridays at noon, Eastern Standard Time, on the Angel Radio Network, as she ignites the conversations you're longing to have. Grab a cup of tea, tune in, and finally find the answers you're looking for and the path of happiness you seek with an hour of Dishy Talk Radio for the Spiritually Hungry with Gail Carruthers, your spiritual girlfriend, here Fridays at noon on the Angel Radio Network, changing the world by enlightening the world, one radio show at a time. Listen, something is brewing. The beautiful business evolution is coming. The way we do business is about to change for the better, forever. This is real business at its very best. On Beautiful Business Radio, you will learn what it means to truly prosper, how to nourish yourself and your business, how to earn what you deserve and make a difference in the world. The tide is rising. The change is here. Discover a new way to live, love, and partner with yourself and your business on Philippa Rowlands Presents Beautiful Business Radio, where you matter and your business thrives every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Tara's passion and purpose is to redirect parents who are frustrated trying to raise the perfect child in an imperfect world and encourage them to discover the unique brilliance in their children in themselves, even on those days where they wonder why they ever had kids in the first place. Here she is, Tara Kennedy Klein. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to be talking with Priscilla Gilman, the author of The Anti-Romantic Child. And before the break, um, we were just 
totally going off on a rant about uniforms, <laughs> which is, you know, here's the thing. I love not having a scripted show because things just kind of like happen organically. And that's the way it happens in life. So if you notice Parent Nation, if you notice conversations coming up that maybe make you feel a little bit uncomfortable and, and make you rich around in your chair a little bit or, you know, make you kind of shrink back from the conversation, I want you to take a challenge this week and dive into those conversations headfirst because those are the kind of conversations that really need to happen. Those things that make us a little bit uncomfortable, those things that maybe are off the beaten path a little bit, those are the things that we really need to be talking about because that's the only way that we're going to inspire change. And, you know, we were talking about the whole uniform thing and how, you know, it doesn't fit. It doesn't feel good to some parents because, you know, they want to be able to express their um, uh, individuality. Where Priscilla's going to talk about that a little bit in a minute. But, um, you know, you want to you want to be able to express yourself through your clothing. You know, that's the reason that we have problems in the schools today. It's not because they stopped corporal punishment in the schools. It's not because teachers aren't doing their jobs. It's because parents have decided that their freedom of expression is more important than the rules of the school. And when we teach our children that rules aren't important, that is across the board, ladies and gentlemen. When you teach your kids that rules aren't important in school, then that means that rules aren't important at home, rules aren't important on the playground, rules aren't important on the sports field, and then you get kids punching refs in the faces and then refs die, and then you get kids picking up guns and shooting their two-year-old sister in the chest. When you tell kids that rules aren't important in any space in their life where there's authority figures that are present other than you, you're telling them that rules don't apply, period. I just needed to get that out there. So if there's a conversation that's happening that's making you feel a little bit uncomfortable this week, my challenge to you is to dive into it and let it happen organically and see what comes out of it and allow yourself to A, be wrong and B, learn something new. I, I just had to say that. That I don't know where that came from. Part of organic conversation, I guess. But anyway, Priscilla. <laughs> <laughs> We were talking about expressing individuality through clothes and you do you do talk about that type of thing because you and I are kind of kindred spirits in the fact that we believe that children, everybody on the planet is a uniquely brilliant person. Mm-hmm. And yep. we all have the we should all have the ability to express ourselves freely and our uniqueness, but not in every situation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, I absolutely agree. And, um, you know, one thing that I think, um, I, I was thinking about, about clothing, and I was talking with Tara during the break about, you know, the, the, the understandable resistance that some people have, and, and they think, oh, well, you know, this is sort of suppressing my child or repressing my child or not allowing my child to be who he or she is. And I'm, you know, a fervent believer in um, looking at each child and recognizing that child's uniqueness and creating an educational environment in which that child's uniqueness can be not only noticed, but also expressed. And, you know, I, I, I've changed a lot in my, in my approaches towards education as a result of having two children. You know, I don't know if you've read, Tara, did you read my piece um, in HuffPost, Tara, it's called Ernie and Bert's Mother? Uh, I wrote this piece called Ernie and Bert's Mother about my children, um, referencing Sesame Street, Ernie and Bert on Sesame Street. And um, Ernie and Bert are opposites. They're polar opposites in many ways. And when you think about it, Bert is quite Asperger's. 
Yes. He's, a, he's like an obsessive collector. He has all these various collections. He has these sort of eccentric interests that nobody else on Sesame Street shares. He's very anxious. And uh, Ernie, on the other hand, is mischievous and sort of devil-may-care and all over the place, and he's constantly disrupting Bert's carefully arranged plans. He's ADD. So, right, right. I think so. I think so. He's ADD, absolutely. And my son is not ADD, but he has some, my other son has some tendencies that way. And he's super messy and uh, very reminiscent of Ernie, the sort of dynamic between them. And, I, and by using that metaphor, you know, I'm intending to show on the one hand, the different, the difficulty of having such different kids, right? Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, to show that there is this intense loving bond, right, that underlies the surface tensions and disagreements and fights and all these things. And I, you know, I do a lot of speaking in school districts and at schools, and I talk about how that piece, I'm really writing about what it's like to be a classroom teacher. I mean, for me, I have these two kids. One is dyslexic. The other is hyperlexic which is a form of autism that my son has that we can talk about later if you want. Um, But, you know, I do have these kids who actually have brains that work in diametrically opposed ways, and they're Mm -hmm. in my house, and so I'm kind of moderating and mediating between them continually. But I, you know, and in a sense, that's every parent situation, isn't it, where you have two kids, and your two kids are different. And you wonder, how did these two children come from the same parents? You know, how is this possible that this happens? Um, <laughs> but, it, but it is also a model for a classroom. And, like, how do you work with children who have very different learning styles, very different temperaments, very different interests within a classroom setting? And one way, you know, just to tie it back to the uniforms, and then we can go on and talk about hyperlexia if you want, but, you know, one way to do that and one way to, to get a sense of unity and community really can be the, the rules. You know, that, are, that apply to everybody. Now, somebody might be able to do an assignment differently than another person, but the basic classroom rules, the basic school rules, the rules of civility in the school, the rules of, you know, you don't use your hand in preschool, you know, don't use your body to express your feelings, right? You have to use your words, all those sorts of things. But I have found going around to schools that uniforms, and I'm, you know, I'm, I grew up on the Upper West Side in, in New York City, and, you know, I was like a Sesame Street kid myself, and I'm a huge champion of diversity and being able to express yourself and free to be you and me and all that kind of stuff. But I, I have found in my own experience that having the uniform in the school, it does create it, – it takes clothing as a concern out of the equation so that the kids can focus on what unites them rather than what divides them, and they can see each other as members of a community, and they can see what's in common, and they can get a sense of pride in their school, too. And that's something that I said to you during the break, that if they're wearing a uniform that has the name of the school on it, it creates a certain sense of pride if everything's going well there. But, but I do very, I, I think the biggest challenge for educators is figuring out how to reach every child in a way that respects each child's uniqueness but doesn't just devolve into total chaos, right? That's the risk. Yeah, and and you know it's so funny that you say that because I got into a conversation recently when I was in New York. It's it's the land of diversity up there, but um, I got into a conversation with a, a group of people that were um, very unique individuals in their own right. Even though we were in the same, we were sharing space. Our ideas and our concepts and our messages were so completely different. And the one thing that we agreed on was a perfect school scenario would be where every kid had an IEP. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I don't care who you are. I think yeah. every kid should have an IEP. And yeah. if you could take those IEPs 
And instead of breaking kids down, like we say, oh, well, you're a level five math student and you're a level four math student and you're in the same class. So we're going to break you into pods within your own classroom and you're going to learn differently within your own classroom. If we could take that same type of concept and take those IEPs and say, okay, you're an auditory learner. So you're going to go to Mrs. Jones because she's an auditory teacher and you're a kinesthetic learner. So you're going to go to Mr. Smith because he is a kinesthetic teacher. How brilliant would that work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'll tell you what, I would have driven you crazy, Priscilla, because I was the kid. I'm sitting here right now using my hands to talk to my microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, have you ever seen my interviews on television? I'm like, and all of my, everything that I've ever done is like my hands are flapping like birds in front of my face. And when I teach, when I was a college teacher, my gosh, my, I, I definitely use, I definitely use my body to express myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Interpretive dance is like my favorite thing. Yes. But that is, but let me tell you, that is a fantastic idea, this idea of every kid having an IEP. Because, you know, I, it's funny, and I, I wonder if you've experienced this too, but, you know, as somebody who, so my book, um, you know, when it came out, there's, there's questions about how, you know, wh- who's the audience of this book. And I think that often books about special needs children Unfortunately, you know, people are people who don't have a quote unquote special needs child are sometimes afraid to read the book. They say, Oh, that doesn't apply to me or that's gonna make me depressed or you know, whatever it might be. Um, I really you know, yeah, and I really wrote the book. I, I really think it's a universal parenting story, which is the story of getting a child that you didn't expect and having dreams and ideals and expectations for how your parenting experience is going to be, and then the experience is just so very different. And that happens to every single person who has a child. Absolutely. And, you know, it really does. And I think, you know, another, another aspect of this would be that when I go to speak at schools, at first I was only getting booked to speak at special needs schools, and then I started, because the mainstream schools go like, well, what do you have to tell our, tell our parents? <laughs> yeah. we, we don't really see this. And I'm like, ah. I think there's actually a lot that I can say to your parents. And then I, I sort of got through the door at one school, and then I've since been doing a lot of talks there. But, you know, I say that every kid has special needs. Every child mm-hmm. could benefit from having a detailed, in-depth, personalized approach where you look at them and you say, here are their strengths, here are their areas of challenge. Mm-hmm. Let's use the strengths to work on the areas of challenge. Here's the best way that they learn. They're going to, this child is going to learn better if you write everything down and give them something. And this is my son with hyperlexia. We're going to give him something to read because he's going to process it better than if he's just listening. And this is, you know, this is from the age of three, Tara, when he, he wouldn't listen to me. If I said something to him, he acted as if you know, nothing had happened at all. But if I wrote what I said down in a note card and handed it to him, he instantly perked up, read it, and did whatever I was asking him to do, you know, on this note card. And awesome. it was really quite extraordinary. And now he's in eighth grade. Um, but the same thing still applies. You know, if you want to get his attention, it's much easier to get his attention with something visual, you know, than with something that comes in through the ears. Um, it, it's just a fascinating way that he's both changed but also stayed the same. It's true. And, you know, I think the most important thing, we're getting ready to go to our next break. Time flies when you're with an awesome person. Um, I think the other thing that it's important to realize is that's going to require conversations and and intimate um, observation of your child. Yeah. 
you know, that's, we forget that a lot. So, you know, that's something to keep in mind too. When we come back from the break, I want to know more about this hyperlexia thing that you're talking about, because we all know what dyslexia is. Now I want to know what hyperlexia is. And we're going to talk to Priscilla about that when we return. Stay tuned for more of the show. Tara, the self-proclaimed queen of accountability, loudly advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. She wants to help you shout out the fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. We'll be right back. To start rocking that woo-hoo that only you do? Because Lisa Stedman is on a mission. She will dare you, challenge you, enlighten you, provoke and empower you to bring out that inner woo-hoo. Lisa is an internationally acclaimed best-selling author. She is a breakup expert, a brand consultant, CEO of Woohoo Inc. and the Woohoo Radio Network. She will show you how to take your boo-hoo and turn it into woo-hoo. Get rebellious and get real get your dreams off the back burner get inspired and motivated to take action start rocking that woohoo that only you do in love life and business she is going to be here for you every wednesday at 1 p.m central standard time only here on the woohoo radio network Are you looking for something more in your life or business? More success? More stability? More happiness? It's all out there waiting for you, but it doesn't just happen. You've got to go get it. Make it happen with Michelle McCullough, where motivation and strategy intersect. Michelle is a serial entrepreneur, acclaimed speaker, and the WooHoo Radio Network's resident business and success strategist. Michelle has the smart strategies and experience to help you improve your life and take your business to the next level. You've got big dreams. You've got big vision. Now it's time for you to make it happen. Welcome back to the show. Tara's passion and purpose is to redirect parents who are frustrated trying to raise the perfect child in an imperfect world and encourage them to discover the unique brilliance in their children in themselves, even on those days where they wonder why they ever had kids in the first place. Here she is, Tara Kennedy Klein. everybody. Welcome back to the show. We are being joined today by Priscilla Gilman, who is the author of The Anti-Romantic Child. And, you know, I thought when I was reading your book and, you know, I was just reading some excerpts and stuff like that from it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, she has so much amazing poetry in here. (laughs) And it's so funny because when I was like um, 30 something, I was diagnosed with ADD. And the doctor that diagnosed me said, you're one of those people who like probably can't even finish a paragraph, not to mention a whole book. And that put a a negative belief system into my head that lasted me into my 40s when I actually wrote my first book. But the thing that's so funny is up until that point, I was an avid reader. I loved poetry. I loved all kinds of books. I I would sit down and read like a crazy person. And now I have a son who's an avid reader. He read like 26 books over the course of a summer break, which, you know, 
right? So when you talk about your son being the kind of kid who needs to read it to get it, I totally understand that. Yeah. But I found it so hysterically funny that up until like maybe six years ago, if I had found a book like yours and it had, you know, all of that poetry and stuff in there, I I wouldn't have seen the beauty in it. Mm. At the time, I would have seen the struggle in it. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now I love that I can go back and I can look at it and I can go, oh my gosh, because of the poetry and because of the prose, I get it. I, it, 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 it cements itself for me more. So I yeah. love your writing style. I think it's absolutely amazing. I love your book. Thank you so much. That's so nice to hear about the poetry. You, you really put that in a very unique and beautiful way, the way you describe the effects of the poetry, because I think... You know, that's another thing that I think people are very, in our culture, are very intimidated by poetry, and um, particularly early 19th century poetry, which is, you know, I use, I use some Frost and, and 20th century poetry, but it's mostly the poetry of William Wordsworth, who is the great romantic, British romantic poet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, I mean, it, 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 I use it to describe my experience of feeling that I had a child, the title, The Anti-Romantic Child, by the end of the book, right, becomes ironic, because Benjamin puts me in touch with a much greater sense of what it means to be romantic, right? He puts me in touch with what really matters, and, you know, he's the great love of my life, really. Um, But initially, you know, in the book, I use the poetry. Wordsworth is the great poet of childhood in in literary history, and he's also the great poet of loss. And so he has all these beautiful poems about the bliss, the unparalleled bliss of being a child and running – through the fields and skating across frozen ponds. And, you know, as I'm facing the reality of my, um, my little son, who had very severe motor delays, um, both gross motor and fine motor delays, uh, and wasn't at all affectionate, didn't hug me, didn't want to look at me, wasn't connected to me in the way that Wordsworth describes the newborn baby and the, and the mom as being this sort of perfectly symbiotic, blissful relationship. And I didn't have that at all with my son. And my son could never... You know, I describe like watching him, and he couldn't hop, he couldn't skip, he couldn't walk up and down stairs, let alone skate across frozen ponds. You know, there's no way that he would be doing that. Um, so, you know, it's this sense of this image of a child and what childhood, the ideal childhood is that I had from reading Wordsworth that I felt I wasn't going to, my own child was not going to be able to experience that. He, he didn't seem to be imaginative or creative. He wasn't interested in having friends, and Wordsworth has this little gang of buddies that he runs around everywhere with. And so that was something, it was just a very great sense of sadness. But, you know, Wordsworth, Splendor in the Grass, that beautiful, uh, the movie with Warren Beatty and Natalie Wood, I always tell people, you know, that that title comes from Wordsworth, and though nothing can bring back the hour of splendor in the grass, of glory in the flower. We will grieve not, rather find strength in what remains behind. I mean, those are just amazing mm-hmm. lines. And for any parent who's struggling with, okay, they had this image of how their life was going to turn out. They had this, or any person, really. Um, you know, they had this image of, particularly for me, I was very nostalgic for my own romantic childhood, which I idealized. Um, my childhood before my parents split up when I was 10. You know, I had this very uh, intimate, close relationship with my beloved sister, who's still my best friend. Uh, and, you know, we would play together all day, and we were very affectionate, and we had this vast imaginative world of dolls and toys and I was so looking forward to creating a family in which my children could have that and they could play outside in nature and they could be very romantic and that's them. You know, mm-hmm. but, but, but finding strength in what remains behind, you know, that's the words with is he emphasizes the sense of loss, but then he also helps us figure out how to find strength in what remains behind, right? And to, 
reach a, a, a sense of a, a sort of greater romanticism, of the wonder, of this weird, wonderful, unique, difficult, challenging, beautiful little person that's been given to us, you know, as parents. And so, you know, and, and the thing about the poetry also is in the back of my book, I have the poems in full. So when you buy the book, you're getting the poetry. It, it, there's little excerpts from it throughout, but the entire poem is in the back so that you can go and you can read more if you want, but you don't have to. And I do think that the poetry, it has an emotional charge and an emotional resonance, and it sort of summarizes a lot of key aspects of the story, my story, but also a, a, a sort of universal parenting experience, um, a, a disappointment, frustration, but also a deep abiding sense of joy. Yeah. And that's what I love about it. I mean, someone with your um, experiences had, it almost feels like universally for you to fulfill your purpose, your wounds had to be so drastic mm -hmm. because everything that you had up until that point to the outside looking in is, mm -hmm. is as close to perfection as what yep. anyone would visualize a childhood to be. So, I mean, you really had to learn to love your child because of who he was, not in spite of, you know Absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. That's, yes. That's, that's pretty amazing. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love the way you put that because it's not about, you know, it's not about looking at your child who has special needs and saying, oh, but, you know, he has all these great qualities. You know, the autism is, is awful, but, you know, he has all these other great qualities, like, Autism is constitutive of who my son is, and many of his greatest strengths and most interesting and endearing qualities, you know, are mm -hmm. because of his autism. Absolutely. So it, it's not like, oh, the autism is all the negative things, and, you know, then, then thank God, you know, there's some positives that, that aren't related to that. I mean, it's just, it's just not, <laughs> yeah. you know, it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And I'm not trying to cure him of autism, and I don't think he needs to be recovered from autism. Um, I just, that's just, I just, those kinds of words I, I just don't find helpful. Um, he is who he is, and the goal of all the therapies that we've done with him, mm -hmm. not been, they've not been to change him, they've not been to fix him, they've not been to cure him. Uh, they have been to help him be himself with the greatest ease and the greatest joy. And so, you know, the sensory integration stuff is crucial because you don't want the child to be so afraid of sounds that they can't take the subway in New York City or they can't you know, go to a party, which Benj really loves. He actually loves being at parties. And I've seen how, you know, we've done all the sensory work with him. He's been, all these things that they say, like, oh, autistic people are not interested in forging relationships. And, you know, that, the problem <laughs> is that there's a deficit of empathy, right, and all these things. Benjamin is supremely empathetic. He yeah. is um, extremely interested in, in forming connections and relationships. He just doesn't have the skills and the tools that most children develop naturally. Mm -hmm. He needs to be explicitly taught, right, how to have a conversation, you know, how That's to so approach funny. somebody who's sad. Now, how old is your son now? Uh, he's 12. He's 12. He's in sixth grade, yeah. And it's oh. funny because I just wrote an article called, it was, it was a letter to my future daughter-in-law, and it's how to oh. love my son with Asperger's syndrome. And it's so funny because... So many of the things that I talk about are exactly what you just said. It's not, you know, okay, so his empathy muscle is very, very weak, but that doesn't mean he doesn't care. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He loves people and he loves animals very, very much. Yeah. He just can't put himself in their shoes. 
Exactly. 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 You know, and one of the things that we said, it's so funny, too, because one of the things that my son asked me one time if he would grow out of Asperger's. Oh. And I said, no, you won't. But if you're anything like your dad, you'll grow into it. Oh, that's wonderful. And I love that they don't. I, I think that if more parents realize that. Our kids who have these, um, if you want to call them a disability, if you want to call it a disorder, whatever you want to call it, to, uh, to them, it's just who they are. Yeah. They don't realize that, um, they don't think that there's anything they should be cured of. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. And so what you're saying, I, you know, I, I absolutely love what you're saying about the therapies, just allowing him to um, embrace life on his level. You know, yep. that's what we need to be focused on. Stop yep. trying to cure it because there's not, there's not a cure right now. Yeah. But the thing is, if you would ask your kid, they probably don't think there's anything to be cured of anyway. I mean, I know that there are severe levels of autism where children are not verbal and, you know, they're not, they, they can't move and that sort of thing. That's, that's the worst possible case scenario. And that is really hard. Absolutely. And if my child were in that situation, you betcha I'd be doing everything on the planet to try to cure him. But if what your child has is a social disorder and he's quirky and embarrassing, get over it. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's funny because I think that it's – have you seen a movie called Loving Lampos, which is my favorite movie about autism? Um, I highly recommend this movie. So it's it's a documentary about autism. Um, the director and producer's name is Todd Dresner, and he and I have become friends. We've done some presentations together just because I saw his film and he read my book, and we realized that we were kindred spirits. But his son, um, it's called Loving Lampos because his son, when he's little, he lives in Brooklyn in Prospect Park, and his son is obsessed with all of the lampposts in the park. And so every day he wants to go and visit the lampposts. And he makes this kind of love circuit where he goes around and they have different names and he actually hugs them. You know, and so Todd uses this as a metaphor to talk about the way that people with autism will often love things or be obsessed with things or be fascinated with things that other people think are either insignificant or odd or weird. And that really what we need to do is to encourage any form of loving, any kind of loving um, you know, is a good thing. And the fact yeah. that he's interested in and fascinated by these lampposts, I mean, it's kind of beautiful. And there's like a scene in the film of the son walking through the park and, you know, putting his arms around the lamppost and hugging it. And it, but it also becomes a metaphor, right, for, I mean, this is, a, this is a very interesting way of thinking about it, but people think of people with autism as being sort of like lampposts, right, not yeah. emotional and um, stiff and rigid and non-responsive. And that the film was really about encouraging us to look at people with autism in a different way and not to write them off as not caring and not being interested in connecting. That's awesome. I love that. We'll talk about it more when we come back from this break. Loudly advocates positive parenting and unique education for spirited children. She wants to help you shout out the fact that children need to be raised to discover their own unique brilliance. We'll be right back. Are you ready? 
to start rocking that woo-hoo that only you do? Because Lisa Stedman is on a mission. She will dare you, challenge you, enlighten you, provoke and empower you to bring out that inner woo-hoo. Lisa is an internationally acclaimed best-selling author. She is a breakup expert, a brand consultant, CEO of Woohoo Inc. and the Woohoo Radio Network. She will show you how to take your boo-hoo and turn it into woo-hoo. Get rebellious and get real. Get your dreams off the back burner. Get inspired and motivated to take action. Start rocking that woo-hoo that only you do in love, life, and business. She is going to be here for you every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Only here on the Woohoo Radio Network. Listen, something is brewing. The beautiful business evolution is coming. The way we do business is about to change for the better forever. This is real business at its very best. On Beautiful Business Radio, you will learn what it means to truly prosper, how to nourish yourself and your business, how to earn what you deserve and make a difference in the world. The tide is rising. The change is here. Discover a new way to live, love, and partner with yourself and your business on Philippa Rollins Presents Beautiful Business Radio, where you matter and your business thrives every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here. On the Woohoo Radio Network. Welcome back to the show. Tara's passion and purpose is to redirect parents who are frustrated trying to raise the perfect child in an imperfect world and encourage them to discover the unique brilliance in their children, in themselves, even on those days where they wonder why they ever had kids in the first place. Here she is, Tara Kennedy Klein. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We are in the final stretch of an awesome show with my guest today, Priscilla Gilman, who is the author of The Anti-Romantic Child. And before we run out of time completely, Priscilla, I want to make sure that everybody has the ability to connect with you and get a hold of your book and find out what you're up to and all that good stuff. So why don't you give us the deets on your contact info for everybody? Um, My website is is just my name, PriscillaGilman.com. One Ellen Gilman, two Ellen Priscilla. And my Facebook page is, um, I, th- I love my Facebook community so much, I have to say. It's, um, it's just wonderful. So it's uh, facebook.com backslash Priscilla Gilman author. And we've got like 33,000 people on there now. Uh, it's really wonderful. It's just a great, great community of people. And it sort of um, encompasses all of my motley interests because I, I talk about, I put articles up about education and parenting and autism specifically, but also just general education articles. And I put inspiring quotes up, and I put little updates on my family, and I ask questions of everybody on the board. And every week on Friday, we do a um, weekend recommendation. Um, I don't know if you've ever answered this, Tara, but, like, I ask people, because I'm always, you know, I have three kids now. I have a stepdaughter in addition to my two boys. So we have a new Mm -hmm. blended family. And we're always looking for movies and books and things that everybody will like. And, uh, you know, we do our movie nights. We've been recently watching the Brady Bunch, the old Brady Bunch. So good. Oh, 
Because we, we always, whenever we're feeling overwhelmed, and this is actually very applicable to you and your show, but you know, we say, well, remember, I mean, we're only half the Brady Bunch. You know, like the, the Brady Bunch had six kids. I mean, <laughs> we only right. have three, and we don't have the dog. So, you know, we're, we're doing pretty well, but we also don't have Alice. So we, That's true. So I think we actually have no, no real babysitting or, or nanny help at all at this point. So uh, juggling Make three kids. Nannies are totally you. overrated anyhow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, I just always felt like, I mean, we had a wonderful woman who helped us um, when the kids were younger. But, you know, with kids with special needs, especially, you know, I just feel like I am the I am the point person. You know, I, I, I just have to be, even when I was working in an office, I mean, I, I was a professor. So you were saying that before. I was a professor at Yale, and then I was a professor at Vassar in Poughkeepsie. Wow. So I lived, I lived in Poughkeepsie for four years in the English department. And, uh, you know, part of the book is about leaving academia as a result of having my son because I felt like I couldn't stand being in this very narrow, um, dry world anymore where I was writing articles that 15 people read about topics that really didn't matter that much. And I wanted to become an advocate, first of all. Um, mm. But I also wanted to do something where I felt like, and I, and I always say, you know, people say, so, so you're an advocate, you're an advocate for children. And I say, I'm an advocate for children, I'm an advocate for literature, and I'm an advocate for individuality. Yeah. Um, you know, all across the spectrum of human life, right? And I've actually recently been teaching a class, um, I've been teaching a class to medical students um, using literature to help them cope with aging patients, it's like the literature of aging and dying. So wow. you know, that's another passionate interest of mine. You know, you remember from the book, like my father has cancer in the book, and my mother-in-law dies of breast cancer, which is 54. And um, you know, that's another area that I'm really passionately invested in is is uh, healthcare and um, particularly care, hospice care, end of life care. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm sort of, I'm sort of a doctor monkey. Like science is my worst subject in school, and so I didn't go on to become a doctor, but I'm, I'm fascinated um, by the world of medicine. And in the last year, I've had a lot of other experiences. My brother-in-law was diagnosed with cancer, was 39, and my my mother almost died. Of, she had a colon issue, and I was in and out of hospital. So I, that's sort of an area that I'm moving into that I'm, I'm really interested in, in doing as much as I can and, and bringing literature to healthcare. you know, because I do believe that literature is, as I you know, in my book, it's explanatory of my experience, right? I read Wordsworth and it helps me understand my child better and helps me appreciate him better. Um, but I also think it's healing. I think, I think reading is something, you know, that can help us understand and make sense of our world, but it can also help to heal us. You know, and you were saying about your son reading, I, I feel like for my son, the voracious reading that he does, and my little son is a voracious reader too, even though he has dyslexia, Tara. Right. Um, exactly. You know, he, he, his drive to read is so strong. I mean, that's a myth about people's dyslexia, right? I mean, he he loves his reading, and he's just compensating for his inability to, you know, with the decoding. He mm-hmm. compensates, you know, because he has such a strong desire to read that he'll ask us if he doesn't. And we've taught him sort of to ask us if he has difficulty. But I, I do feel like for them, for both of my boys, books are just. A, huge resource um, in so many different ways, in, in coping with stress, in you know, take, transporting them out of the mundane reality of their day, and you know, helping them understand the way relationships work. And also, you were saying with your son you know, he, that he has difficulty getting into other people's shoes. Well, what better tool can we use to help children develop empathy than reading? Because reading, it, when you're 
identifying with a character, right? That's an active, imaginative empathy. And you're connecting with that character. And for Benjamin, like, a lot of the scenarios that he learned reading books like, I don't know if if your son loves these books, but the Frog and Toad book, those are some of our favorites, and um, George and Martha about these two hippos that are friends. And for some reason, he always liked all these buddy books. And so those sort of helped him learn how to be a buddy. And he would even say things when he was four and five, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, tell so-and-so that I think they look nice because because that's what George did with Martha. <laughs> yeah, right? You know, you know, it's like, it's like, and it's just so amazing just to see the way when he's two and three years old, I'm being told, you know, this reading that he's doing, it's completely mechanical. He's not really learning anything from it. You know, this is the whole very, very negative, uh, extremely grim picture of autism in 2002. You know, they're like, Okay, when he's reading, don't think that he's really interested. He's not interested. This is, um, there's one article I read that said the reading is like barking at text. It's basically animalistic. It's compulsive. It's an obsession. It's not something that's going to lead to anything positive. Well, we've used the reading over and over again in well, every situation. if it's compulsive, I'd rather have him do that than picking his nose or playing with himself. So we're yeah. going to go down the road of reading. <laughs> Compulsions and obsessions are bad things anyway. I mean, obsessions can be good things. I mean, many great things in, in human history have been accomplished by obsessed people. Right? Exactly. So, um, you know, I, I don't really want to break into that obsession. I only would break into the obsession if it was getting in the way of other important things, right? But sure. I spent much of my childhood with my nose buried in a book, and look what it did for me. I mean, it, it enables me to – and, you know, this is an interesting point, actually – so I thought, oh, it enabled me to get a Ph.D. at Yale and teach at Yale and teach at Vassar. Well, that's not what was important about it. What was important about it was that it gave me tools um, and resources to cope with my real life. Okay. So, Absolutely. Wow. It, like, I've learned the literature accompanies me through my life and is a continual source of wisdom and comfort, and that's what's valuable about it. And I think that that... You know, really, you said you said I guess before we went to the break something about how my life, you know, my childhood seemed sort of perfect, and my life seemed sort of perfect, and so I had to suffer greatly in order to grow. Mm-hmm. I think you said that. Um, you know, and I think that that it's it's really true in a sense in the sense that I was shaken out of everything that I thought. You know, I really was on this very fast track. I was 28 when I had Benj. I was in graduate school already. I had just been hired as a professor at Yale at 28. Uh, got married young for my cohort. Um, I was 23 when I got engaged. You know, I, I had the seemingly sort of perfect life, and, of course, no one's life is perfect, and, you know, there was mm. a lot of stress and strain. I mean, I lost my mother-in-law. My father had cancer. There was a lot of other things that were going on. But I do think that it, the whole experience of having a special needs child, it does disrupt the sort of smooth, easy, seemingly easy forward progress of your life. Sure. And... What comes out of the disruption, ideally, is that you reassess, you reevaluate, and you really get in touch with what matters most to you. And it's intensely clarifying if you look at it in the right way, if you don't allow yourself, you know, you don't, you, if you get, you get overcome with despair and the victim mentality and what was me and why did this happen to me, you know, mm-hmm. then you're not going to move forward. And, I mean, I don't know if, if people have said this to you, but so many people, interviewers have said to me, you know, did you ever say, you know, and, you know, because my book is also about my marriage falling apart. You know, I lost, you know, I lost my marriage. Um, my father died. All these things are like, well, were you thinking to yourself, why me? You know, why is this all happening to me? And I said, no, if anything, you know, I, I would say, why not me? 
You know, why, sure. why am I exempt? You know, everybody, everybody, every single person, maybe it will happen later for some people than others, um, but every single person is going to face huge losses and challenges in their life. And it's, it's really about not allowing yourself to get into that mentality of just blaming people for why something happened or, um, you know, beating your breast and saying, oh, I'm, this, I'm so undeserving of that. Right. You know, it's not about deserving. It's not about, you know, bad luck or good luck or, or someone did something wrong and this is why this happens. You know, it's just, for me, it was just about this is the reality and I need to help my son with every ounce exactly. of being. And, and I think for me too, there was, because men are naturally, uh, prone to want to fix things that they perceive as being broken. I think the hardest thing for him was hearing, this isn't something that you're needy, that you need to fix. This is something that you need to embrace. Yeah. And you know, when people would say, oh, do you, cause people say that to me too. Like, do you ever think to yourself, why me? And I'm honestly, for the last several years of my life, I've learned to say, I wonder why, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like, I can't wait to find out why me, yeah, because yeah, this yeah. happened for a reason. And I yeah. can't wait to find out what that reason is. Cause this yeah. is going to be big. <laughs> you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, oh my gosh, yeah. I can't believe that this time has gone by so quickly. I feel like I, I have to have you on for another show so we can actually talk about the stuff that's in your book. <laughs> Oh, well, I would love to go on, come on for another show about any topic that you'd like to talk about, you know, because oh it's, it's, it's so fun talking with you. Hey, and, thanks. It's, it's kind of my gift. <laughs> <laughs> and are you, are you waving your hands in front of your face while you say that? I absolutely do. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I'm moving my... around in my chair. I'm like dancing in my chair while I talk to you. That's, that's how I, and you know, it's funny. I think I'm sure that your hand, you're talking with your hands has been a helpful, um, it's your gift, you know, as a host, but I'm sure it's also part of your gift as a mom because, uh, you know, that's another thing I think we, we look, we, we want to look at our kids and see what their strengths are. We also want to look at ourselves and see what our strengths are as parents. And for me with Benji, you know, I'm the perfect parent to woo Benjamin out of his, you know, propensity for solitude. Um, in the sense that I'm super dramatic. If you saw my face while I'm talking to you, my friends always say that I look like a Muppet because my mouth is like moves so much and constructs all over the place. Very dramatic, very engaging for Ben. That's so awesome. I'm sure you do that with your son too. I think that we that's something we should all strive to do this week is to find out what is brilliant about ourselves as parents as well as what's brilliant about our kids. Thanks so much, Priscilla, for joining us this week. And join me next week when my guest is going to be Kelly from Easy to Love, Hard to Raise. Thanks for joining me. Have a great week. Keep playing. Bye. Listen to the 